when Israel's long-awaited Messiah finally came, why did the vast majority of Jews alive at that time not accept him? And what role does the existence of continuing Judaism have in the eternal plan of salvation after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? These are among the questions explored by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, from which we have been reading in the second lesson during a 13-Sunday sequence which began back on June 18th. Romans is divided into 16 chapters, but a more useful way of understanding that letter is by looking at seven distinct sections of unequal length, each of which is dedicated to a general theme. The first section of Romans is Paul's introduction of himself to the Christians in Rome. The second is an explanation that without the gospel, the human race is irredeemably lost. The third section considers how man is justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ. The fourth treats of how justification is experienced in living the Christian life. The sixth section, we'll come back to the fifth, the sixth section discusses the duties of Christians to each other and to civil society. And finally, the seventh section is a conclusion filled with personal greetings and requests to individual persons. But today we are at the beginning of the fifth section, and it takes up all of chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. In this part of his letter, St. Paul ponders the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the eternal plan of salvation. And section 5 is arguably the heart of the entire letter especially in the way it helps us understand the meaning of the third section on justification by faith rather than by observance of the law. Our lectionary sequence spends only today and the next two Sundays on three brief passages from section 5 of Romans. So I hope that you will open your Bible at home and give your full attention to all of chapters 9, 10, and 11, in which you can see how the thinking of Paul developed on the mystery that most of the Jews of his day refused to accept the Lord Jesus as the Christ, a refusal that has continued for 2,000 years among the vast majority of Jews. After Pentecost, the first problem confronted by the church was a sharp conflict with the religious authorities of Jerusalem who had persecuted and executed the Lord Jesus. The Sanhedrin rejected his claim to be the anointed one of God. They denied that he was raised from the dead and they sought to extinguish the church by imprisoning or executing anyone who professed faith in Jesus of Nazareth as Christ and Lord. This story is told in detail in the Acts of the Apostles. And there we read that one of the star persecutors of the church was none other than Paul himself, then known as Saul of Tarsus, who witnessed and approved the stoning to death of St. Stephen, the deacon who was the first martyr to give his life as a witness to Jesus Christ. 
The letters of Paul bear witness to the conflict between Jews living throughout the Roman Empire and the preachers who came to their diaspora communities proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that both the preachers and those to whom they preached were all Jews, there was constant strife in those first decades, which led to the bitter separation of Judaism and Christianity. But even two decades after the resurrection, the apostles still had to wrestle with this question. Do Gentiles who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior first have to become Jews in order to become Christians? This debate was resolved around the year 51 at a meeting in Jerusalem, which was convoked to sort out this issue. And that, too, is described in the Acts of the Apostles. The Council of Jerusalem declared that Gentile converts to Christ should not first become Jews in order to become Christians. This meant that Gentile Christians would not be circumcised or taught to observe the law of Moses, except for the perennial parts of the first Ten Commandments that summarize the eternal moral law, which binds all people of every time and place. After the Council of Jerusalem, the paths of Jews and Christians were sundered, bringing great sadness to St. Paul, who was a Pharisee, who had studied in Jerusalem under the greatest rabbi of his age, and whose entire life had been shaped by the study of Torah and worship in the temple. During the years of Paul's mission as the teacher of the Gentiles, he continually pondered the mystery of how and why most of the children of Israel failed to see and welcome the Messiah when finally he came. And that is where we begin today in chapter 9 of Romans. Paul wrote, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and of their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul is here saying that if his brother Jews could only see Jesus with the eyes of faith as the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, then he himself, Paul, would gladly accept being cut off from Christ forever. That is the measure of his sorrow that most Jews alive in his day would not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that is where our passage from chapter 9 ends today. But Paul then goes on to talk about how God revealed the eternal plan of salvation in puzzling ways, such as embracing Isaac while sending away Ishmael and accepting Jacob while rejecting Esau. <clears throat> Paul's point is that each of these strange inflection points, though mysterious to us, is in some way a part of the gradual unfolding of a universal plan of salvation, not just of one tribe or nation, but of the entire human race, 
a universal plan that is finally and fully revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul concludes that the ratification of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ does not nullify the first covenant with the house of Israel because the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Paul adds that until the full number of the Gentiles is added to the house of Israel as a wild shoot is grafted onto an olive tree, the providence of God will sustain those Jews upon whom a darkening has descended which prevents them from seeing the Messiah. And that for this reason, the fact of Judaism continuing in the world is in ways that we cannot yet perceive precisely for the sake of the salvation of all the nations by the Lord Jesus Christ. On the next two Sundays, we will skip over the rest of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10 and then press on to two brief readings from chapter 11 of Romans. So, do take this week to read and study all of chapters 9, 10, and 11. One of the things you'll find there is Paul's pondering of the difference between being a Jew by biological fact and being a Jew by religious observance. And this distinction can be useful for us in a time when many millions of baptized Christians live like pagans rather than as disciples of the Lord Jesus. We know that the sacraments of Christ are the ordinary means of grace and are given by God to bring about in us the obedience of faith and the life of the new creation. But the sacraments are not magic, and they do not have their full intended effects in the life of anyone who does not read and believe Holy Scripture, who will not be changed by grace, who refuses to acknowledge his sins, and who will not surrender his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, even those who are baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ must receive the gospel with the obedience of faith and then follow Christ in the way of the cross, or else they make their baptism an empty act of superstition rather than the beginning and foundation of a life of discipleship. In chapter 9 of Romans, St. Paul describes a great division among Jews about their relationship to the living God on the basis of birth rather than belief. He writes, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all children of Abraham are his because they are his descendants. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise that are reckoned as descendants. This is why no one who has been baptized should ever be content with a life that is not centered on Jesus Christ and lived according to the truth of his gospel. And that in turn is why those Christians who understand this distinction should never cease trying to explain to baptized pagans why they are missing the very heart of their existence and how to return to him who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. For the sake of those who have been baptized but who are not yet or who are no longer living as faithful Christians, 
let us resolve to live by radical conversion, deep fidelity, joyful discipleship, and courageous evangelism as convincing and compelling witnesses to the saving truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. 